God of our fathers. This morning, church, we begin with uh, that song, God of our fathers, and the words are printed on your bulletin. And so let us stand together, church, as we begin our worship together in song. Christ be with you. And also with you. Let's turn and greet one another. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church on this Memorial Day weekend, and especially if you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you're here with us today. In each one of the pews on the center aisle end, there is a friendship pad, a black little notebook, and we'd love to have you take that and fill it out. Let us know that you're here with us today whether you're a visitor or a regular here. There is an announcement sheet inside of our bulletin, our connections, and you'll see that uh, the City Art Walk will include art on our, in our Rose Garden this Thursday night. We invite you to come by and see some of the art of our artists too, as well as the rest of the Art Walk. Family Fun Night is this coming Saturday night at 5.30. There will be all sorts of wonderful things. There'll be bingo, which the kids just adore, and great food. You can sign up for that online. Uh, looks like by emailing Gail. Also, Jerry is taking names of people who are interested in his 2017 trip to Israel. There is a list um, that we're beginning to make in, out on the, one of the carts on the patio today. And if you, would like, if you have some interest in that and would like to add your name to that, then you'll get in on, on any contact that we do about that trip. Um, also, our, our, we have out on the patio the book that we are going to be reading for our book talk in July, The Nightingale, which is about World War II and occupied France. Our children and youth are signing up for summer programs, and all of that registration is online. Vacation Bible School, H2O, Forest Home, getting very full. So you can do that if you go online to do those. You'll see that on, we have an insert in the bulletin of some of our new members from the last month. We um, have people joining at some different times over the last month, so we have uh, compiled them all in a handout today. So Lori and Mike Hefty, I don't see you. Are you here today? No. And uh, the, the Hilbergers, Gina and Robert, are you here today? And Mary Kobler, I see you. And that Richard joined too, but we don't have a picture of Richard. And Ajia and Daniel Lee were ha here last week. They, uh, their child was baptized. So we welcome all of them into membership in our church. Uh, we have double flowers this morning. The flowers are in memory of Max Sadler, and they are also to celebrate the 90th birthday of Dick Maxwell. So we congratulate Dick on his 90th birthday. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. 
God of the nations, we turn to you this morning. You are sovereign Lord of, of heaven and earth. And you desire that uh, your character, your love, your will be known throughout all the earth. Today, as we worship you, we remember the many families of our nation that have been touched by loss as a result of war. We, we thank you for all the veterans who are with us. We join with them as we remember this day the sacrifices that have been made for the cause of our nation, for justice and freedom, equality, and the building of a new world. May you be honored and glorified this day as we worship you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Join me in the responsive call to worship. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May he defend the cause of the poor, give deliverance to the needy, and crush the oppressor. For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Blessed, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May his glory fill the whole earth. Amen and amen. Let us stand and praise God together. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we
Isaiah calls us to repentance. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. You would have none of it. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Let us pray responsibly. Almighty God, we confess how hard it is to be your people. You have called us to be the church, to continue the mission of Jesus Christ to our lonely and confused world. We, we acknowledge, acknowledge that, that we, are we are more, more apathetic, apathetic than, than active, more isolated than involved, more callous than compassionate, more obstinate than obedient and more legalistic than loving. Gracious Lord, have mercy upon us and forgive our sins. Remove the obstacles preventing us from being your representatives to a broken world. Awaken our hearts to the promised gift of your indwelling spirit. And so search our hearts as we are in silence before you. For we pray through Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. My friends, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the good news. In Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Amen. Amen.
Our scripture readings are taken from the Gospel of Mark and from 1 Peter chapter 2. First, Jesus' instructions to his disciples. Then they sent to Jesus some Pharisees and some Herodians to trap him in what he said. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you putting me to the test? Bring me a denarius, a coin, and let me see it. And they brought one. And then he said to them, Whose head is this, and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Jesus said to them, Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. First Peter chapter 2, letter written to churches in the Greco-Roman Empire of the first century, struggling with many of the things with which we struggle as Christians in our own time. Read First Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that though they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution whether of the emperor as supreme or of governors as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. As servants of God, live as free people, yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. In verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God of sovereign love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one triune God, we come into your presence this day as those who have been called to be your people, to listen to your word, to proclaim your word, to announce the good news 
of your salvation. So we ask this morning that your Holy Spirit will bring illumination to your scripture and write the truth of the kingdom of heaven deep in our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you remember the first time you voted? I do. It was in the presidential election of 1960. I had just come out of a time, I was a teenager in the 1950s. It was a pretty peaceful time, a good time to be a kid in West Texas. I graduated from high school and went to my first year at Texas Tech, and my parents insisted that I board my first year with my grandmother in order to watch me and to make sure that I didn't get out of hand. And uh, it was a wonderful experience. I loved my grandmother. She had a bedroom all for me with a desk and everything to set up to study. I soon discovered in 1956 that she was a devotee of General Dwight D. Eisenhower. And we watched the convention in 1956. And the Republicans seemed so ordered and so dignified. <laughs> in their endorsement of President Eisenhower. He was her hero from World War II. And my grandmother was determined that President Eisenhower be reelected against Adelaide Stevenson. I listened, I watched, and just absorbed the passion of my grandmother. And lo and behold, five years later, when I had the privilege for the first time to vote for a president, I had become an Eisenhower Republican and cast my ballot for him or his vice president in 1960 who was running for president, Vice President Richard Nixon. By that time, I was living in a different state, in California, going to graduate school, Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, very conservative theological seminary, and we were all Republicans. And we were all rooting for Vice President Richard Nixon. And as it happened, he was running against John F. Kennedy, the senator from Massachusetts who was a Democrat. But most important to us, he was a Roman Catholic. And we were all scared to death that if a Roman Catholic were elected president of the United States, that the Pope would move into the White House <laughs> and have a direct line into the Oval Office. I was working at a high-tech firm in Monrovia, part-time, and going to school full-time. My life was full and I would drive daily from Pasadena to Monrovia. And as I would go out and back, I would count the bumper stickers. Every car in California seemed to have a political bumper sticker on it. And I would count them. If I counted more Nixon ones than Kennedy, I felt good for the day. But the days in which I counted more Kennedy stickers, it was a depressing time. And so when the election came and John Kennedy was elected president of the United States, there was a deep funk in the student body at our seminary. We were depressed. <laughs> 
One of our older and wiser professors said, young men, because there were no women to speak of at the seminary in those days, young men, in the history of America, America has elected many different presidents, and somehow we have struggled through them all and made it. Come out of your funk. And we began to live. A couple years later, I was a student at Princeton Seminary. And I'll never forget that evening. It was in October of 1962. I sat in my car in the parking lot of the library of the seminary, the Spear Library, and listened on the radio of my car as President Kennedy addressed the nation on the Cuban Missile Crisis. There were Soviet missiles, missiles in Cuba with atomic warheads. And I began to calculate that night that I was living close enough to Cuba to be the recipient of one of those missiles. And I was so grateful that President Kennedy, even though he was a Roman Catholic, <laughs> was strong enough to back the Soviets and their missiles out of Cuba. You may remember that in 1960 it was the Houston Ministerial Association of the greater Houston area that invited the pre of Kennedy at that time in September of, of 1962 to speak to that Protestant body about this issue of whether or not we could tolerate a Catholic in the White House. And he made the point that he was not the candidate of the, of the Roman Catholic Church, but he was the candidate of the Democratic Party and that he was determined to uphold the Constitution of the United States. And he made the extra point if on the day of his baptism as a child he was eliminated for the rest of his life from ever being the President of the United States that would be a violation of the First Amendment of the Constitution. And that was the turning point in that year's election. I found that to be an inspiring moment, his address to the nation in 2012 when I was in Washington, D.C. I went to the National Archives and they had an exhibit there of pictures from within the White House and audio tapes of all those conversations during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I went from booth to booth and listened to those conversations and those ghostly voices. Fill me with fear and thanksgiving at the same time for those who have been charged with the responsibility of maintaining the peace and the order of the world and of saving the world from a nuclear holocaust. Likewise, I was inspired when President Reagan stood at the Berlin Wall and said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Let's make peace. And this week with President Obama in Hiroshima, Japan, recognizing the dangers of the world community in the proliferation of arms and the responsibility of those who sit in positions of authority and power. And we remember on this Memorial Day the thousands and millions of young men and women, citizens of the United States and of many nations, who sacrificed their lives that we might worship in freedom this morning and listen to his word. 
from the battlefields of World War I and II to Korea and Vietnam. The thousands lost at sea and buried on Pacific Islands. You visit Normandy, France and the cemeteries or the American cemetery in Cambridge, England. We remember the most recent history of our wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and in Lebanon and the threat of spreading war in the Middle East of extremism and violence in a world at times that still seems to totter on one precipice after another. And it's worth our remembering that neither John Kennedy nor George H.W. Bush risked their lives in the Pacific in the cause of any religion or of any nation in particular. But they gave their lives in the most ultimate sense for the undergirding reality of what the apostles Paul and Peter were speaking of in their letters to the church. Because what they were recognizing in these words that at times are so difficult to interpret was the ultimate order and presence that undergirds all of reality. And that is the reality of God. First and foremost, God the Creator who created us in His own image and invested in us the stewardship responsibility of maintaining the order and peace of the world. A God who had created everything and named it good. Who created not just Adam and Eve, but created the principalities and the powers and the rulers of the world and charged them with a stewardship responsibility of maintaining human life, environmental integrity, and peace on the earth when seen in its broadest sense. We know the biblical story that even as Adam and Eve fell away from right relationship with God and introduced violence into the world, so the principalities and powers, the rulers of this world, the institutions that we have made and created today fell also. But nevertheless, the sovereign God has remained steadfast and faithful in his commitment to humanity and has called all the authorities and the institutions within which we work, the principalities and the powers, to do their job of maintaining the order and peace of the world and place the church at the center of human history to pray for, to make intercession, to support, to work in behalf of, to sacrifice on behalf of making right what is wrong in this world. The great gift of creation is the undergirding truth that supports the Apostle Peter's exhortation to us to honor everyone. to love the family of believers, to fear God, and to honor the emperor, even to paying our taxes, which is not altogether the most popular thing we do. Not only did God give us the creation, but he gave us the gift of salvation. This is what Peter is talking about as a primary motivating force for us. God did not leave us alone in our fallenness, whether as individuals, our communities, our nations, or this cosmos. No, God sent his son, Jesus, 
and in his life, death, and resurrection, made atonement for our sins, reconciled us to the Father and us to one another, began to create one new humanity. At the cross, through the blood of Christ, we were saved for all who believe. And because God has acted to rescue humanity, he calls us to work to rescue humanity as well. We do so in the power of the Spirit with the presence of Christ in our lives. I know it's even dangerous to preach on a text like this. I chose this text for today because we're going to vote in another week. I can assure you, I am not endorsing any candidate or political party. I'm simply preaching the word to you, as I have been called to do. Which I've done throughout my ministry. I'll never forget the year 1968. That was another dilly of a year. Remember 1968? I was asked to preach on Thanksgiving Sunday at my former parish in La Cañada. And my subject that morning was, how can we give thanks in a year like 1968? <laughs> the Vietnam War was raging. The Tet Offensive had occurred. It, it seemed that we were losing the war there. Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert Kennedy had been assassinated. Our cities were burning with riot and our campuses as well. The church was divided on issues of war and peace and civil rights. It was a very difficult year, to say the least. Families in our church were divided. I'll never forget one family that had two sons, one of which was gang-ho for Vietnam. He served two or three different terms in Vietnam as a machine gunner on a helicopter flying over the jungles of Vietnam. And he came back in one piece. His younger brother was a conscientious objector. And he was asking me to write letters to his draft board to substantiate that he was totally against war and could not serve. He would serve the nation in some other way, but not in the battlefield. He could not kill now, if you're parents and you've got two sons whom you love and they're on different sides of these issues, you can imagine how they were feeling. They were wringing their hands. And all I wanted to be was a reconciler and a peacemaker. It was difficult. I'll never forget that Thanksgiving Sunday. People went out the door after listening to my sermon. One guy asked me if I was a communist. <laughs> Another asked me if I was a member of the John Birch Society. I thought I must have said something right because <laughs> the extremes on both sides were offended. This is the dilemma of being a pastor committed to the Word of God and not to his own particular opinions about things. And so here we come in the year 2016 and we're facing another election and it's a traumatic year and the church is divided and there are the dangers of terrorism and still of warfare and the meltdown in Europe and the ascendancy of, of Russia and all the things that and we face a loss of civility in this society 
where it is almost impossible for us to talk about anything important without slugging each other. And what is our call in the church in the midst of all of this? Is it not to remember who God is? The creator God who's gifted us with the creation. Who's given us a stewardship responsibility to hold fast, to pray for, to make intercession for. To work as hard as we can to build up the world and not to tear it down. To not use language on social media and our personal interactions that puts down various candidates, our parties. I find it really difficult to maintain that position personally. Is it not to proclaim the good news that God is sovereign still? That regardless of the chaos of the world that threatens us and the forces of evil, that nevertheless, God is sovereign. And it is His love that holds the cosmos together as well as the nations. And He has not abandoned us. And He calls us to stand fast in our citizenship as citizens of the kingdom of heaven while at the same time we hold a passport for this country of which we are all so proud. And in the name of God, we work to build up and not to tear down, to lift up and not to destroy, to put our arms around the poor and the broken and the widow and the suffering, to live our lives with compassion in the love of God. Is that not what we've been called to do? And have we lost interest in doing that? No. Republican or Democrat or Independent, the issue is still the same. We want to live together, and we want to build together, and we want to love one another. We want to honor everyone how hard that is, even, well, when they behave and speak with dishonor. We want to love the fellowship of the believers who are not all on one page on anything. We want to fear and reverence the holy God and bow before him because he bowed deep for us and came down to rescue us. And we want to honor the emperor. I don't know who the next emperors are going to be. But they need our support. They need our prayers. And they need us to be one people working together for the healing of the world to make it right. Please join with me then. Stand and let's affirm our faith together. These are the words from our book of confessions, first part of the Constitution of the United of the, of the Presbyterian Church USA. This comes from the Theological Declaration of Barman from 1934, the Confessing Church of Germany that confessed that Jesus is Lord and not Hitler wrote this theological declaration to remind us of that and to define what is the relationship between the orders of this world and the order of the kingdom of heaven. And they built it around this one part of it, around 1 Peter 2.17, our text this morning. So responsively, let's read this together and make our affirmation. Fear God, honor the emperor. Scripture tells us then in that in the as yet unredeemed world in which the church also exists, the state has by divine appointment the task of providing for justice and peace. It fulfills this task by means of the threat and exercise of force according to the measure of human judgment and human ability. 
the church acknowledges the benefit of this divine appointment in gratitude and reverence before him. It calls to mind the kingdom of God, God's commandment and righteousness, and thereby the responsibility of ruler, rulers and the rule. It trusts and obeys the power of the word by which God upholds all things. We reject the false doctrine as though the state, over and beyond its special commission, should and could become the single and totalitarian order of human life, thus fulfilling the church's vocation as well. We reject the false doctrine as though the church, over and beyond its special commission, should and could appropriate the characteristics, the task, and the dignity of the state, thus itself becoming an organ of the state. Thanks be to God for the courageous men who at the very beginning of National Socialism and totalitarian dictatorship had the courage to stand up and proclaim the truth. May we live it. You may be seated as we receive our morning offering.
Amos 5. May it be so, Lord. May it be so. We know it will. George, will you stand as we sing America the Beautiful this morning as our prayer? of all the nations. On this Memorial Day weekend, we pause to reflect upon the blessings of this nation and the high cost of those blessings. We thank you for the freedom we enjoy in this country, for opportunities to flourish, and for the security of our land. We give you thanks for all who have served in the armed services of our country and for those who have given their lives. Even as we remember those who have given their lives in the past. We also think of those whose lives are on the line today. Protect them. Bring them home safely. May we be more aware of just how blessed we are as a nation and more eager to share our blessings with others. God of peace, in the chaos of today's world, stir in the hearts of the leaders of our nation and of all the nations. Give each of them a passion for peace. Bring an end to pain and the suffering, the injustice, and the violence in our world. For we long for the day when people will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Although we know that ultimate peace will not come until your kingdom is here in all its fullness, yet we pray for a foretaste of that future, as you have taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our closing hymn is Jesus Shall Reign, and we'll sing verses 1, 3, and 4. They're printed on your bulletin this morning. Jesus shall forth in freedom that God has given to us from our bondage to the powers of sin and death. We go forth into the world to represent the kingdom of God, to honor everyone, to love the family of believers, to fear God, and to honor the emperor. May the grace and peace of God our Father and the power of the Holy Spirit and the very character of Christ rest upon us each. Amen. Amen.